Hello, everybody. My name is Kendall, and I am the owner broker of Digs. And as we like to say, we connect cool people with cool homes in Glendale, La Cañada, and La Crescenta. But many of you have already achieved your first home, and you're thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to start my real estate empire? But you remembered how hard it was to actually save up enough money for your first house, and now you're paying a mortgage and you're wondering, oh, will I ever be able to get a piece of investment property? I know how you feel. And I was actually at a provisors meeting, that's a, a networking group of really high level uh, practitioners in all kinds of professions. And I met uh, Anthony and Cody at e the Buckingham Investments um, seminar where they were talking about how they teach baby investors how to start their real estate empire and trade their way up to having real wealth and income and passive income that will take them well into the retirement years and beyond. So I asked Anthony to do this presentation for my agents to teach them how to help people and it was so good we decided to make this webinar to get this information out to the entire Diggs tribe. So so Anthony, thank you so much for coming on to our little webinar series. Absolutely, happy to be here. We were so impressed with the information that you had. Um, I'm just gonna pretty much let you dive into it. Please drop some wisdom and knowledge on our people and let's get those empires started. Absolutely, thanks Kendall. Okay, so uh, my name is Anthony Walker. I am the CEO and managing broker of Buckingham Investments. We are a local Southern California multifamily brokerage firm. And our little niche is in helping people learn all about how to invest in real estate, specifically multifamily property, write an investment plan that can deliver on your future goals. And then when our clients are ready, we help them get out there and invest and buy their first property or scale up if that's what they're trying to do. So today I'll just kind of go over an initial presentation that covers a lot of our a strategy and our philosophy and sort of the numbers behind this at a really high level. And if that's something that speaks to you, then we have tons more information for you as well. So first of all, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna interrupt you real, real quick, just in case you're thinking, oh my God, I don't have $500,000 to drop in an apartment building. Just stay tuned. Anthony has some great news for you guys. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't have to already be rich to do this. However, uh, there's this quote attributed to Andrew Carnegie that goes something like 90% of all millionaires became so through owning real estate. And that absolutely remains true today. Uh, we were just talking at lunch here at my office about an article in the LA Business Journal that came out in a recent edition of, it had the top 50 wealthiest Angelinos. And I think if you went through the list of 50, it's probably easy 80, 90% of those people were in the real estate uh, business somehow. So. It's the most tried and true way to true wealth in our country, and it's surprisingly easy to get in. And the most important thing is that you just start, that's it. And a lot of people are really worried about how to start, but we can help there. So uh, I'm also an investor myself. We're not just brokers here. We all at Buckingham Investments practice what we preach and we all uh, invest in real estate ourselves. So what we have right here is just a little bit of a, a personal story of mine. This is my very first multifamily property purchase. This was a little duplex down in Long Beach with a, uh, a non-conforming unit out the back, surprisingly common as well. 
I bought this about 10 years ago and held on to it for a while. Actually, it looks pretty good in this picture, but uh, was, this is kind of a, a beat up property. But this is what I could afford and um, paid for itself, held on to it, exchanged it into this one. This is a five unit apartment uh, building in the same area. It's both of these, these buildings, the front one and the back one. Also, not a whole lot to look at, but uh, it did its thing, cash flowed for me, owned it for a while, and then exchanged that into this guy which now we're starting to look a little bit more serious, right? This is more right. what you think of when you think of apartment building. Uh, so this is an eight unit building, also in Long Beach. Uh, we do a lot of business in Long Beach. It's a great market for this type of stuff, but really all over LA has got you know, great apartment buildings that you can invest in on a pretty small scale. Um, since I bought this one, I've since you know, refinanced it and bought other properties and uh, exchanged other properties into other properties. And now I have a sizable portfolio of units spread through a number of buildings, probably around 100 units, uh, mostly in Long Beach, and they pay most of my fixed expenses in my life. So wow. I'm fortunate enough to be able to help other people learn how to do this stuff, and I don't have to have this stress of wondering if I'm going to be able to make the mortgage payment on my house every month. <laughs> nice. So how did I get here, <laughs> right? Well, real estate investing at the end of the day is investing like anything else. So if you start at the very beginning, a lot of us never took a finance class because they don't teach that in high school. And if you didn't take business in college, you probably never learned this stuff. Well, um, all investing really boils down to what's called the time value of money equation or the compound interest formula. And that's what we have right here in front of you. It looks overwhelming at first, looks like a lot, it's really not that complicated. This is the equation that's at work in any investment that you could make that compounds upon itself. So this applies to money in a savings account or mutual funds or stock market or real estate, anything like that. And the variables go something like this. It says the future value of a sum invested today, which is your present value, is equal to that present value, that initial investment, multiplied by one plus the rate of return you're able to achieve on the investment to the power of N, where N is the number of years your investment compounds. Now that sounds kind of complicated at the beginning, but if we graph it out like we have right here on this little cocktail napkin, you can get the idea. So if we put money on the y-axis here, and we put time on the x-axis, and your initial investment is that you know, N equals zero or time equals zero, as time goes on, and your investment returns and compounds upon itself and your money makes money for itself, then the slope of this line accelerates over time. And that's the magic of the compound interest formula here is that as long as you have your money working for you, then you're gonna make more and more and more every year. Even if that's just in the savings account or something, you're still taking advantage of that effect. Now, the difference between putting your money into like say a savings account versus a real estate investment is the rate of return you're able to achieve is what determines how quickly this line accelerates. So money in a savings account may, might go way off of this page and start to slowly uh, <laughs> accelerate as you, you know, have your money in there for a couple hundred years, but that's not a very useful way for most of us to get rich because we're probably not going to live that long. Uh, real estate investing has a, a unique ability to provide a really strong return over a long period of time, even with pretty conservative assumptions. So we see a curve that looks something like this. Now, maybe this 
function makes a little more sense if you put that into a word problem. If we put it into a word problem, this actually becomes what most of our investors use as a general investment plan. So this is, this is the beginning of your plan. And it goes like this. I'm going to invest present value dollars for N years in real estate investments at a sustained rate of return of R percent, and I'll be worth future value dollars at the end of the plan. So now it starts to make a little bit more sense, right? And if you look at the four variables in this equation, we actually know some of them already. We know present value when we're starting off because we only have a limited amount of funds to use. So we can plug that in here in our, in our first space. Uh, for any years in real estate investments, so that's up to you to decide how, will, how long you're willing to wait to be worth how much the future value at the end of your plan. And you can manipulate those numbers as much as you want using a financial calculator. There's lots of free financial calculators you can find online. There's pretty good, easy to use free apps on your smartphone that you can download and you can mess around with this equation a little bit. And that can get you really excited about this math. I always joke that math wasn't that exciting to me until they put a dollar sign in front of it in business school. And then all of a sudden I was really interested. <laughs> so, if we just look at this uh, on a table, this is just that equation represented on a table. And so this is just how this equation would look with that money being invested in any investment at these rates of returns. And so we've got a few different sample present value numbers down the left side. We have a few different numbers of N for number of years that your investment might compound. And then the matrix here in the middle is what that future value of your sum invested today would be worth at these three different sample rates of return. Now you'll notice that your rate of return on this table starts at 20%. That sounds ridiculous to a lot of people that have looked at other types of investment. Maybe that's hard to uh, achieve, but I think we'll look and see that you know, here in real estate, it's actually not that hard to do that at all. So as a little example, if we invested $100,000 for 10 years, and we were able to get a return on equity of 25%, we can just follow that down to where this intersects in our matrix, your, your future value would be $931,000. Now it's a pretty safe assumption that you can make about a 5% passive cash return on your equity at any given point in your real estate portfolio's life. So by that point in time, you should be able to make about a $45,000, $47,000 annual spendable money passive cash flow after investing for 10 years with 100 grand. That's pretty good, but it's not really going to do it for most people's retirement. So look what happens as we hold that investment for a little bit longer. In only five more years, from 10 to 15 years, the value of our investment goes from 931000 to $2.8 million. So it triples in the next five years. And the reason that that's happening is again, the shape of this graph right here. You're seeing it start to turn vertical because your money has had more time for it to work and compound upon itself and accelerate your rate of return. By the same ticket, another five years later and your money is now worth $8.6 million. So if you've got time on your hands and you still plan on working for a while, this is a particularly powerful way to invest for the future. If you do the math, 8.6 million, in equity could deliver $430,000 approximately in passive cash flow for retirement without having to sell any of the assets. That's pretty good. I think that would do it for most people. 
That'd be good. So, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fine. So you can play around with the numbers on this chart. You can get a financial calculator and manipulate it yourself. Um, and, and we'll kind of get into the details here now on how this works. So that R number is really what it all comes down to, the rate of return. And on a real estate investment, it's not as simple. Calculating your rate of return is not just an interest rate that you get in a savings account. And it's not just the rate that, say, a stock price goes up in value. There are four separate elements of return that go into that R number when it comes to real estate. And those are in front of you right now. We have appreciation, cash flow, equity buildup through amortization, and tax shelter benefits. So what are all these things? Well, appreciation is the increase in the property's value over time, which then goes to equity for yourself. And that's going to vary in every market. And we'll look at some historical information on that. Cash flow is pretty self-explanatory. That's the money that comes to you, to your pocket, after paying for your expenses, your mortgage, and everything. So that's spendable income. That's an important number for a lot of people. Equity buildup through amortization. It's a mouthful. But uh, that is actually just a principal pay down on your loan. Most people buy investment properties with a mortgage. And if your tenants are paying your mortgage for you, which they should be, then part of that mortgage payment goes to paying down the principal balance of the loan. And so when you eventually sell or refinance that property, then the, uh, that pay down on the principal is equity for you. And it can be exchanged into another property or you can take it out in the form of a refinance, or if you just sell the property entirely, it's yours. So we can express that as a return because that goes to equity as your, as your mortgage pays down. Then real estate is also great because you get incredible tax shelter benefits from owning real estate. Um, you get to depreciate the value of the structure over 27 and a half years with apartment buildings, and you can offset that against the cash flow that the building generates, so you can shelter some of that cash flow. We can quantify those tax shelter benefits, and that gets a little bit more complicated than we'll get into today, but we can express that as a return. So looking at these numbers, I can tell you appreciation we'll talk about in a second as far as what percentage we can look at there. Cash flow tends to be in our market pretty low. It's about 3 to 5% of the equity at any given point. On a good stabilized portfolio, it should be at about 5%. That's why I was using that number in our previous uh, analysis of the, of the time value of money table. Equity buildup through amortization tends to be about 5% at the beginning of your amortization schedule as well. And this one's a known number. There's no mystery there. Uh, that's just according to the amortization schedule on your loan. And tax shelter benefits, you can also calculate before you even buy a property. It's pretty simple. That tends to be 3 to 5% as well. So if we add all those up, you get 3 to 5% here, you get 5% here, you get 3 to 5% here. So if we just take the lowest of each of those, and you can do the math in your head real quick, three, five, and three, that's 11%. But the chart that I showed you started at 20. So where are we making up the difference? Well, that's where appreciation comes into play. So here's 53 years of apartment building values right here in uh, my local area, which is the greater South Bay of LA. These, um, these numbers would look very similar throughout the rest of the LA area and Orange County. Um, this is going all the way back to 1965 when our company first started researching and keeping track of these numbers and going through 2018, which as of right now is the last full year of market data that we have. So in 1965, apartment buildings were going for $14 a square foot. 
amazingly. <laughs> and at the end of in 2018, we averaged 407 a square foot. So that's quite the rise over 53 years. If we were to just average out the difference between those two numbers over this entire 53 year time period, you'd have about six and a half percent rate of appreciation going every year on the value of properties. And that includes recessions and booms, ups and downs, all that stuff. That's just an average, 53 year average. We've got about five business cycles in this chart. So if we think about it, we can use this long-term uh, research to estimate the future performance of how these properties might perform as you own them. Because that's a pretty long span of data. So we could say that your appreciation component of return is six and a half percent. I usually use 5% just to be conservative. Now, one other thing you'll notice about this chart is we do, real estate is susceptible to the occasional, you know, downturn, of course, just like the economy. Um, but every time we have a little downturn in real estate values, we get a recovery and we always surpass the previous high where we were at before. So what that means for the average investor is as long as you invest with a long-term time horizon, as in you understand that you're gonna, you're gonna be in this for a while, it's pretty hard to really lose money if you stay conservative enough so you're never forced to sell at the wrong time. That's the key here. Even after the subprime crisis, right? We had this huge drop from 2008. We have now surpassed our previous high from 2007. And here we are at 407. There's nothing unusual about that either, by the way. The other thing you can see in this chart is um, these real estate values are not tied necessarily one-to-one -one on how the stock market does or the economy. Um, there is a missing recession in this chart. If you know a little bit about the history of our country and economic history, you know that we had a downturn in 2001. We had a stock market crash, the dot-com bubble burst. And that was really, we kind of ignored it here in our local real estate. You know, the um, internet startups lost a lot of value. People lost a lot of money in the stock market. We had the 9-11 attacks. Uh, we had a recession. Uh, but real estate kind of ignored it. So, um, you know, that can happen as well. Things are sort of feeling similar to the way that they did in 2001 right now in our country, in fact. So who knows how the next how the next cycle will look. Now, that chart looks that way because of the unique characteristics that we have here in Southern California. It's a really popular strategy right now for California investors to take their money out of state, somewhere in the middle of the country, because everything looks cheap elsewhere. Southern California is an expensive place to be. Looks like you get more cash flow elsewhere. Looks like you can buy more for your money. And I totally understand that. But uh, investors should understand that this chart looks like this here for a reason, and that this chart would not necessarily look the same way in other markets. We're expensive here in California for a reason. And if you look at a map, that's probably the best way to wrap your head around why that might be the case. So here's LA. We're surrounded by ocean on two sides, mountains to the north, and 100 miles of city to the east, basically with no real land available to build additional supply, or at least a significant amount of additional supply to our uh, housing stock. Unfortunately, that's become a huge problem for us in the state right now. 
and we're trying to find a way to incentivize new construction and make affordable housing accessible to people and stop homelessness and displacement. But at the end of the day, all of those things are symptoms of geographic and economic characteristics that make this area a very powerful place to invest on the supply side of real estate, especially housing. Now, we've got an incredibly diverse economy in this area as well. So you can't just go anywhere and say, well, it's geographically constrained, so I'm gonna buy here and it's gonna go great. It's the combination of the demand that results from the super strong and diverse economy we have here in Southern California and that geographical constraint. If you look around the world, you can see other markets that share similar characteristics like San Francisco, New York City, and they have similar histories with the values and how pricey things are right now. We actually look relatively cheap compared to some of these other markets. If we were to compare this to say the S&P 500 or something like that, investing in stocks, I turned up this article a few years ago when I uh, did a study and you don't have to read it all right now, but the article is basically bragging that of the original S&P 500 companies, this article was celebrating its 50th year anniversary. The S&P 500 was started in 1957, 86 of the original companies were still in business. Now, I don't know about you, but the chance of picking one out of 86, one of the 86 out of 500 to still be in business doesn't sound like great odds to me if you wanted to make a 50 year investment back in 1957. On the other hand, probably every property here and every property in this list is still around. So if you ask me, this is a much more conservative way to invest your money rather than trying to pick a winner on the stock market. So now we talked about appreciation and we said a good safe assumption for appreciation is a 5% return or 5% return on the value of the property. If we go back to our four elements of return and kind of remember the numbers that we talked about a little bit, we've got appreciation at 5%, we have cash flow at three to 5%, amortization, at 5% and tax shelter benefits at three to 5%. We take the lowest of all of those, it's still only 16%. And again, I showed you a chart that starts at 20. So where's the difference? Well, the magic in investing in real estate is you can buy these properties with other people's money, as they like to say, in most cases, the bank's money. But when it comes to appreciation, you get to keep all of the benefits of appreciation. You're gonna put, some of your own money down, you're gonna get a loan on the property. As it goes up in value, the bank doesn't get to participate in that increase in value. So here's a simple example of how that works. We call this leveraged appreciation. And if you take one thing away from this presentation, this should be it. This is the single most powerful characteristic about investment real estate in a high demand market like Southern California that makes it so well. So let's look first at the left column here. Let's pretend you have half a million dollars cash and you could just invest that without getting a loan because you were raised to believe that all debt is bad and if you could afford something, you should buy cash. Can't really fault that logic, right? You could buy a $500,000 property and in our average year, according to the 50 year chart we looked at, if we just use a conservative estimate of 5%, then that property would go up by $25,000 in your average year for appreciation. If we calculate then your return on investment or your return on equity from appreciation, that is $25,000, the money you made, divided by your initial investment, 
which is $500,000. And no surprise, that's 5%. That's equal to the appreciation rate. Now, what if instead we took the same 500 grand, we used it as a down payment, put 25% down on a $2 million property, and we made sure that whatever $2 million property we selected generated enough rent to pay the mortgage, as well as all the necessary expenses for running the property. Well, that $2 million property also goes up at 5%, just like the $500,000 property. 5% of $2 million is 100 grand. So in year two, your property's worth 2.1 million, and now the math is different. Your ROI or your ROE from appreciation is $100,000, again, divided by your initial investment, not the purchase price, because this is what you put into the deal. So the return on your money is 20% in this example. You made $100,000 versus $25,000 on the same amount of money invested. And just from appreciation alone, only one element of return, you're able to make 20%. That's pretty amazing. So if we were to then go back to our four elements of return and we substitute 20% for that appreciation number, we've got 20% for appreciation, 3% or so for cash flow, 3 to 5% there, 5% for amortization, and 3 to 5% for tax shelter benefits. We're now looking at 31% return on your money at the lowest. Now we're on that chart. Seems crazy, but if you look at these numbers, we're using conservative estimates, historical data, no crazy tricks, no, nothing fancy. This is just how the math works. And people that have invested in real estate for years and become wealthy understand this stuff. And the rest of us are just left to wonder how they got so rich. This is it. It's really but not that Anthony, complicated. How many of us have $500,000 just sitting around <laughs> gathering dust? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Not a lot of people, obviously. That's a lot of money. Sure, it should That's be. just the example. <laughs> <laughs> well, the great news is you don't need $500,000 in down payment to invest in uh, investment properties or apartment buildings here in Southern California. Um, in fact, you can put as low as $50,000 down and make that work, especially if you're willing to own or occupy a building. You can buy apartment buildings with only three and a half percent down, which is really amazing. I mean, we've had, we've had clients make this work with as little as like $20,000, $25,000 to invest. So it's, it's a misconception that you need a ton of money to get started in apartments. You need surprisingly little. And I can kind of go over some general guidelines in a minute for who might be able to get started here. Now, as far as doing the details and figuring out which property makes sense, that's kind of where our expertise comes into play. You can't just go buy any building and expect it to work this way because properties are very expensive here and they're particularly expensive relative to the income that they generate here in LA. So you can't go put 25% down on any property and have it cash flow. Our goal is to make sure that that property pays for itself. If it doesn't, you're in a potentially untenable situation and you could be forced to sell that property at some point. And if that's during a market downturn, that would be really bad. We don't want to put people into that kind of situation. So there's some metrics that we can use to analyze deals. And this is a simple example to kind of show how that might work. So these are four different four unit buildings. This happens to be the city of Long Beach. This is a study that I did a number of years ago. So the prices are way off. And these, go, these numbered buildings go in order, ascending order of what most people would agree the neighborhood quality is. So number one is um, not that great of an area, still totally fine. Number two is just 
a little bit north of downtown Long Beach, kind of changing a lot right now. Number three is in Alamitos Beach, a pretty nice beach community, but it's, you know, had a Apache history and it's getting really nice now. Number four is Belmont Shore, super nice, expensive part of Long Beach. If we look at the numbers on each of these properties, here's one, two, three, four. We can do a gross rent multiplier, which is how many times the annual rent go into the purchase price. Another way of looking at it is the price you're paying for every dollar of annual rent revenue. So the lower the gross rent multiplier, the more cash flow you would make. And uh, property number one was at 11 and a half. Property number four was at 19.4. And there's a relationship between that gross rent multiplier and what it would take to break even for a down payment on this property. So this property that was in the least desirable neighborhood, it breaks even with 10% down, believe it or not. At that point, this was a $650,000 property. So this would have worked just fine with 55,000 down for 10%. Whereas the Belmont Shore property, because it's at almost 20 times growth, that was gonna take 50% to break even, 50% down. If you're putting 50% down, you're giving up a lot of the leverage that we were just talking about. You're not multiplying your returns as much as you were with say 25% or 10% down. You're only multiplying your return by two and you're not on that chart anymore. You're not, you're not making the same rates of return. So it's counterintuitive, but investing in properties that are in up and coming neighborhoods that maybe aren't already super expensive and nice tends to be the best way to develop a portfolio, at least at the beginning. A lot of people, once they have a lot of properties or they're worth a lot, they like to invest in the nicer stuff because it tends to be more stable easier to manage and that kind of stuff. But if you have professional property management, you really don't have to worry a lot about that. Here's just a little study here showing uh, can prices go any higher? I always get challenged on how expensive LA is. And uh, I did another little study a number of years back and looked up global home prices. I couldn't find global apartment building prices in an easy list, but home prices were there. At that point in time, our apartments were going for about 310 a foot. You saw the earlier chart. We were going for about 407, 408 a foot in 2018. We weren't even on the top 50 of global home prices. This is what average home prices were at this point. I think this was in 2014. At the same time, Los Angeles' gross metropolitan product for our metro area was $792 billion. That makes us the third most productive metro area in the world and we weren't even on the top 50 of home prices. So the mismatch there, again, is a great reason why I would look at investing right here in the, in the LA area. It makes it look like a bargain to me when you compare it to the economy. So here's kind of a sample. This is a lot to digest. So uh, if you need to pause it and review this later, you can do that. But what happens here is this is kind of what a simple, very conservative investment plan might, might look like um, for somebody getting started out on their first property. So if they were to buy, say, a $500,000 property to start with 125 grand down, that's 25%, make a little bit of income, that's 5% on your equity at the beginning, that property goes up in value. And just like our leverage appreciation example, you're going up at 20%. Now, what happens is as this property appreciates, the equity goes up. And as the equity goes up, if you remember the return on equity equation, equity is in the denominator. So as equity goes up faster, your return gets diluted and your return on equity goes down. So you can't just buy one property with $100,000 down and expect to be worth $8.6 million in 20 years like our previous example, that's unrealistic. Instead, at some point you're going to have to re-leverage your return 
and you're gonna have to buy more properties, either by completing what's called a 1031 exchange, where you don't have to pay capital gains tax and you sell your original property and buy a larger one, or you can refinance the property that you purchased, pay cash out on the refinance and go buy a second property. They both have the effect of re-leveraging your equity. So in this example, you can see an exchange happening. After four years, this property is worth 578,000. This is just averaged at a 5% appreciation. You've got 203,000 in equity in the property. We're gonna sell it and complete an exchange and buy an $812,000 property. 203 at 25% of 812. And look what happens after our next year, after the exchange, our uh, leverage appreciation goes back up to 20%. So what you're really trying to do is play a game of averaging the highest rate of return you can on your money over time, which takes paying attention to what your ROE is every year and deciding to make moves when they're appropriate. And of course, we have our, all of our clients make those decisions and then execute on the transactions when it's time. It's a lot to take in, I know. Yes. <laughs> So there's a few reasons why uh, multifamily is particularly perfect for this. If you're getting started, um, it's really easy to understand. These are apartment buildings. It's not rocket science. Um, at the end of the day, you're in the business of housing, which is a basic human need. You're in a business that can't go out of business. And uh, that's very different from other types of commercial real estate, where although you're in the real estate business, you're really investing and you're investing in the business of whatever your tenant is. So I always like to joke about, you know, what if you owned a retail center with a blockbuster video and a circuit city and, you know, name your retailer that's gone out of business in the last two years. You could be stuck with a giant vacancy that can last for years and be very expensive to fill. Apartment units are really simple. Uh, they're easy to remodel. They're pretty cheap to remodel. Everybody needs a place to live, especially here in LA. We have a huge shortage. You're never really going to have significant problems with vacancy owning these. Um, it's also perfect because they're really easy to estimate expenses. Uh, again, you know, you can just get utility bills, um, historical costs on repairs, you know what your loan's going to be, you can get an insurance quote while you're in escrow. There's very little guesswork and a very, not a lot of stuff that you're not going to know going into the transaction about how your building is going to perform over time. It's also really easy to figure out what your rents could be because there's a lot of websites and stuff like that out there for you know renters that are looking to rent a place and you can look on craigslist apartments.com rentometer is my personal favorite for uh rent comps easy, easy to estimate also great financing like we mentioned earlier you get fantastic rates on uh, multifamily properties and you can buy with owner occupied financing so if you've got a flexible living situation and you're okay living in one of the units you can buy with fha or other low money down loan programs which can allow you to buy with an incredibly small amount of money out of pocket. And then you can turn the building over to a professional manager and you don't really have to worry about the three T's that everybody's afraid of, right? Tenants, toilets, and trash. Not really your problem if you have a professional manager. Wait, tenant, what's the second one? Tenants? <laughs> tenants, toilets, and trash. <laughs> That's actually very accurate. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, there's a saying where you don't have to be a landlord to be an investor. And that's absolutely true with good management. A lot of people think those two go hand in hand and they don't. Here's just some old stuff that we had laying around the office. 
uh, we've been around since the 60s, so just like to show what can happen here. These are two very similar properties. This was in the city of Lawndale and how quickly things can go up if you're just participating, if you happen to own. Here's a two on a lot that sold in 1977 for 55,000 bucks, basically the same property sold in 1980 and the price was 129 grand. Wow. So if you're in, the, if you're just in and you're participating, you're going to take advantage when that kind of thing happens to the market. If you're not and you're sitting on the sidelines, you can't. Nobody's really going to be able to predict when this is going to go on, but if your money's in play, your money's working for you. That's the key here. Yeah. So back to Kendall's earlier question about what you need to get started. Like we said, it's really not that difficult to get going with apartment buildings. Um, you can get started with a surprisingly small amount of capital. So this is kind of just a list of a few different types of people that might be a great client for us who might want to invest in their first uh, multifamily property here in Southern California. So really anybody who's heard that real estate can be an effective tool for generating wealth, but you don't know where to start. We can get into a lot more detail about all the concepts behind this, the analysis, how you pick the right property, what different areas are going for, where you might want to look, everything about inspections, management, financing, all that kind of stuff. We really got a full service experience here. So you don't have to do any of that yourself. Um, if you have 150,000 or more to invest in verifiable income, so you'd be able to get approved for a loan, 150,000 is good for a 25% down payment on 600 grand, which is where a lot of kind of the starter duplexes and investment properties are price at right now in the LA area. If you have 50,000 or more to invest, verifiable income and you can own or occupy, then you can, you've got tons of choices. You can get FHA, you can put three and a half percent of the purchase price down. So, you know, like a million dollar apartment building, you could put only 35 grand down and you could, you could be an apartment investor. Um, you have lots of options. The other thing about doing these owner occupied loans is you get great rates. And if you put a low percentage down and you think about how that affects that leveraged appreciation math, it can multiply your returns above 100% in your first year of ownership. So it's an excellent way to start and to grow some equity as you're just getting going at the very beginning. Tons of our clients start by owner occupying their first investment purchase and then moving up from there. If on the other hand, you have capital and you have assets, but you're not currently working, uh, if you have $400,000 or more to invest, but you don't even have any income, this would apply to people that maybe inherited uh, properties or uh, money, or maybe somebody who sold a business or recently retired. In that case, you can invest in a commercial size apartment building, which the lending world sees as five units and above. And once you're in the five unit and above space, you can get financing that's just based on the building's income alone and not your own. It's a little bit counterintuitive that if you want to spend a lot more on an apartment building, we don't need to know how much you make, but that's how the lending industry is. <laughs> so any people in those three uh, characteristics um, could be a great client for us. And of course we can help people that already have gotten started on their own and they're wondering when this gets fun and how they can scale up, how they can get larger. We specialize in helping people do portfolio analysis and maximize their returns uh, and do exchanges. For people that have inherited property, we can help do analysis on that um, and really kind of be the quarterback for helping you grow your empire over time. That's so with that, you want to avoid 
still going to work when you're retired. So we always show our little cartoon with Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I can take any questions. <laughs> that is, this is the third time that I've seen this presentation. And I learned something new every time I go through it. Obviously, well, maybe not so obviously, most people know that Diggs is residential focused. We really haven't gotten too much into income, yet most of our agents are right at that place where they're ready to start thinking about their next home, their next investment. And I know that many of our clients are doing the same. So Anthony is down in the South Bay. Uh, we're up here. We want to be working with Anthony to help the, help our tribe start their real estate empire. Um, and so I'll be putting, dropping in a contact information form down below. Uh, give us your contact information. We'll make sure that you can get in touch with Anthony uh, so we can get that stream going, work together, and let's grow your wealth together. Anthony, thank you Absolutely. so much for doing this for us. We greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to doing business together with Buckingham Investment Absolutely. and Diggs. Thank, thanks for having me on. Awesome.